0: are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on this four-volume-over-2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria Valgrada. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head over to Facebook and find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and you'll be able to interact with me and other followers and listeners. Today's review comes from Mama Vait, V-A-I-T, left on May 15th, a podcast for such a time as this. I'm so excited to begin this. Mary of Agreda keeps coming up in the way the Holy Spirit brings to light that which is needed. I'm in the middle of a Bible in a year with Father Mike Schmitz. I don't think I can wait until January 1st to begin the mystical city of God in a year. So much to listen to, so little time. Thank you for this. Well, thank you, Mama Vate, for listening. And I encourage you to begin if you already haven't. And uh, you'll see how this really corresponds to the scriptures that we read, for it's so filled with scripture, many quotations and such, that you've already heard probably through the Bible in a year. If you would like to share the podcast Please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen because by rating and reviewing it, you'll help it to get noticed by the program so then it will come up as a recommended podcast for others who might be interested in following along with the mystical city of God. Now let us thank God for the life of Venerable Maria Vagrada. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you sent missionaries to your people who proclaimed the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life today and wish to be taught by her. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady, Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 152. We are reading from Volume 2, Book 4, Chapter 10, paragraphs 476. To 476. There are other wonderful circumstances and particulars, which all the faithful assume to have miraculously accompanied this most divine birth. But as the only witnesses were the Queen of Heaven and her courtiers, they cannot all be certified, except only those which the Lord himself manifests in his holy church, to all or to some particular souls in diverse ways as I think there is some divergence of opinion in this matter, which is most sublime and venerable. As soon as I had manifested to my superiors and directors what had been made known to me, they commanded me under obedience to consult anew the divine oracle and ask the Empress of Heaven, my mother and teacher, and the holy angels that attend on me, for information on some particulars necessary for a clearer statement of the most sacred parturition of Mary, the mother of Jesus, our Redeemer. In order to comply with this command, I returned for a better understanding of these same happenings, and it was then expounded to me in the following manner. 4.77 At the end of the beatific rapture and vision of the mother, ever-virgin, which I have described above, number 4.73, was born the Son of Justice, the only begotten of the Eternal Father, and of Mary Most Pure, Beautiful, Refulgent, and Immaculate, leaving her untouched in her virginal integrity and purity, and making her more godlike and forever sacred. For he did not divide, but penetrated the virginal chamber as the rays of the sun penetrate the crystal shrine, lighting it up in prismatic beauty. Before I describe the miraculous manner in which this took place, I wish to say that the divine child was born pure and disengaged, without the protecting shield called secundina, Surrounded by which other children are commonly born, and in which they are enveloped in the wombs of their mothers. I will not detain myself in explaining the cause and origin of the error, which is contrary to this statement. It is enough to know and suppose that in the generation and birth of the Incarnate Word, the arm of the Almighty selected and made use of all that substantially and unavoidably belonged to natural human generation, so that the Word could truly call himself conceived and engendered as a true man and born of the substance of his mother, ever-virgin. In regard to the other circumstances, which are not essential but accidental to generation and nativity, we must disconnect our ideas of Christ our Lord and of the Most Holy Mary, not only from all that are in any way related or consequent upon any sin, original or actual but also for many others which are not necessary for the essential reality of the generation of birth and which imply some impurity or superfluity that could in any way lessen or impair the dignity of Mary as the Queen of Heaven and as true Mother of Christ our Lord. For many such imperfections of sin or nature were not necessary either for the true humanity of Christ or for His office of Redeemer or Teacher, and whatever was not necessary... For these three ends, and whatever by its absence would redound to the greater dignity of Christ and his mother, must be denied of both. Nor must we be negardly in presuming wonderful intervention of the author of nature and grace, in favor of her who was his worthy mother, prepared, adorned, and made increasingly beautiful, for this purpose— For the divine right had enriched her at all times, with gifts and graces, and reached the utmost limits of the omnipotence possible in regard to a mere creature. 4.78 In accordance with this truth, her true motherhood was not impaired by her remaining a virgin in his conception and birth through operation of the Holy Ghost. Although she could have lost her virginity in a natural manner without incurring any fault, Yet in that same case, the mother of God would also be without this singular prerogative of virginity. Therefore, we must say, in order that she might not be without it, the divine power of her Most Holy Son preserved it for her. Likewise, the divine child could have been born with this covering or cuticle in which others are born. Yet this was not necessary in order to be born natural son of the Blessed Mother. Hence, he could choose not to take it forth with him from the virginal and maternal womb, just as he chose not to pay to nature other penal tributes of impurity, which other human beings do pay at the coming into the light. It was not just that the incarnate word should be subject to all the laws of the sons of Adam, but it was consequent upon his miraculous birth that he be exempt and free from all that could be caused by the corruption or uncleanness of matter." Thus also this covering, or secundina, was not to fall a prey to corruption outside the virginal womb, because it had been so closely connected and attached to his most holy body, and because it was composed of the blood and substance of his mother. In like manner, It was not advisable to keep and preserve it outside of her, nor was it becoming to give it the same privileges and importance as to his divine body in coming forth from the body of his most holy mother, as I will yet explain. The wonder which would have to be wrought to dispose of that sacred covering outside of the womb could be wrought much more appropriately within. 479. The infant God, therefore, was brought forth from the virginal chamber, unencumbered by any corporeal or material substance foreign to himself. But he came forth glorious and transfigured for the divine and infinite wisdom, decreed and ordained that the glory of his most holy soul should, in his birth, overflow and communicate itself to his body, participating in the gifts of glory in the same way as happened afterwards in his transfiguration on Mount Tabor in the presence of the apostles Matthew 17:2 This miracle was not necessary in order to penetrate the virginal enclosure and to leave unimpaired the virginal integrity for without this transfiguration God could have brought this about by other miracles thus say the holy doctors who see no other miracle in this birth than that the child was born without impairing the virginity of the mother It was the will of God that the most blessed virgin should take upon the body of her son, the God-man, for this first time in a glorified state for two reasons. The one was in order that by this divine vision the most prudent mother should conceive the highest reverence for the majesty of him whom she was to treat as her son and the true God-man. Although she was already informed of his twofold nature, the Lord nevertheless ordained that by ocular demonstration— she be filled with new graces, corresponding to the greatness of her most holy Son, which was thus manifested to her in a visible manner. The second reason was to reward by this wonder the fidelity and holiness of the Divine Mother. For her most pure and most chaste eyes, that had turned away from all earthly things for love of her most holy Son, were to see him at his very birth in this glory, and thus be rejoiced and rewarded for her loyalty and beautiful love. 4.80 The sacred evangelist Luke tells us that the mother virgin, having brought forth her first begotten son, wrapped him in swathing clothes and placed him in a manger. He does not say that she received him in her arms from her virginal womb, for this did not pertain to the purpose of this narrative. But the two sovereign princes, St. Michael and St. Gabriel, were the assistants of the virgin on this occasion. They stood by at proper distance in human corporeal forms at that moment when the incarnate word penetrating the virginal chamber by divine power issued forth to the light, and they received him in their hands with ineffable reverence. In the same manner as a priest exhibits the sacred host to the people for adoration, so these two celestial ministers presented to the divine mother her glorious and refulgent son. All this happened in a short space of time. In the same moment in which the holy angels thus presented the divine child to his mother, both son and mother looked up upon each other. And in this look, she wounded with love the sweet infant, and was at the same time exalted and transformed in him. From the arms of the holy princess, the prince of all the heavens spoke to his holy mother. Mother! Mother! Become like unto me, since on this day for the human existence which thou hast today given me, I will give thee another more exalted existence in grace, assimilating thy existence as a mere creature to the likeness of me who am God and man. The most prudent mother answered, Trahe me poste, curimus in odoram ugectorum tuorum. Canticle one, Three. Raise me. Elevate me, Lord, and I will run after Thee in the order. In the odor of Thy ointments, in the same way, many of the hidden mysteries of the Canticles were fulfilled, and other sayings which passed between the Infant God and the Virgin Mother had been recorded in the Book of Songs. As for instance, My Beloved, to me and I to Him, and for His desire is toward me, Canticle Two, sixteen. Behold, Thou art beautiful, my friend and thy eyes are dove's eyes. Behold, my beloved, for thou art beautiful, and many other sacramental words, which to mention would unduly prolong this chapter. 481. The words which Most Holy Mary heard from the mouth of her Most Holy Son served to make her understand at the same time the interior acts of his holiest soul, united with the divinity, in order that by imitating them she might become like unto him. This was one of the greatest blessings which the most faithful and fortunate mother received at the hands of her son, the truest God and man, not only because it was continued from that day on through all her life, but because it furnished her the means of copying his own divine life as faithfully as was possible to a mere creature. At the same time, the heavenly lady perceived and felt the presence of the most holy trinity, and she heard the voice of the eternal father saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am greatly pleased and delighted. Matthew seventeen five. The most prudent mother, made entirely godlike, in the overflow of so many sacraments, answered, Eternal Father, an exalted God, Lord and Creator of the universe, give me anew thy permission and benediction to receive in my arms the desired of nations, and teach me to fulfill, as thy worthy mother and lowly slave, thy holy will. Immediately she heard a voice, which said, Receive thy only begotten Son, imitate him, and rear him, and remember that thou must sacrifice him when I shall demand it of thee. The Divine Mother answered, Behold the creature of thy hands, adorn me with thy grace, so that thy Son and my God receive me for his slave. And if thou wilt come to my aid with thy omnipotence, I shall be faithful in his service. And do thou count it now, presumption in thy insignificant creature that she bear in her arms and nourish at her breast her own lord and creator this concludes our reading today for day number 152 we have been reading from volume 2 book 4 chapter 10 paragraphs 476 to 481 we continue to hear about the virgin birth today and i know that this is one of those questions that people always have because the movie the nativity story or because the chosen christmas specials showed mary in pain while in childbirth and this is a great question for us to consider and we have to understand our catholic position and our catholic position is that mary did not undergo pain in childbirth that she remained a virgin before during and after and that saint thomas aquinas taught that pain was a consequent of original sin when giving birth. Now, Genesis does say that the pain of childbirth will be intensified, but we believe that Mary was without pain and that she brought forth the child remaining a virgin after as before. The teaching about Mary's virginity, she's a virgin before, during, and after the birth of Christ. The church teaches this, but what the church doesn't teach or explain is kind of the biological process by which this would have taken place. So there are questions that one has, well, what does the virgin birth look like? People were discussing this back in the mid-1900s. And the church became a bit perturbed by this, and so they issued an interdict saying that you can no longer talk about the biological nature of the birth of Christ and the virginitas in part two of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So we know our Catholic faith. When we see a movie like The Nativity or The Chosen and they show Mary in pain, we have to understand that the creator of those films – do not necessarily espouse the Catholic belief that they are Protestants, and so they have a wrong belief about this, and so they're going to portray it from their Protestant perspective. We simply know how it is that Mary gave birth. How is it, then, that Mary gave birth to the Christ child? Well, it seems that Maria of tells us today that two angels, Michael and Gabriel, presented the Christ child to the Virgin Mary. One of the ways that the church fathers often thought about this question was by thinking of the resurrection and Jesus passing through the locked doors of the upper room. And in his birth, he passes through the locked gates, the virginal gates of the blessed Virgin Mary. And that is one way we can think about how Christ comes forth and then is placed in the arms of the Blessed Virgin. One could not call Mary ever virgin if she didn't remain a virgin during the birth of Christ. Now, secondly, I think it's important to note how our reading ended today. The very last sentence. And do thou count it no presumption in thy insignificant creature that she bear in her arms and nourish at her breast her own Lord and creator. Again, I want us to think about creation, and this comes from one of the great Marian antiphons. Loving mother of the Redeemer, gate of heaven, star of the sea, assist your people who have fallen, yet strive to rise again. To the wonderment of nature you bore your creator and yet remained a virgin after as before. To the wonderment of nature you bore your creator. Jesus participated in the act of creation. Jesus, as the second person of the Blessed Trinity, always existed with God. And so Jesus does create with the Father and the Holy Spirit. It is now in the birth to Mary that Christ takes on flesh, that the God invisible now becomes visible to us. And that is why we can say that Mary nourished at her breast her own Lord and Creator. For Jesus was a person of the Blessed Trinity involved in the act of creation. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today and hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you and Mary pray for you.